Hello, and welcome to Tronversations. So tonight we have with us Stuart Barrington. So I guess uh, Stuart, the uh, coach of the herd, or uh, one of, I guess. One but, of, I uh, think, yes. Yeah, our, our first and most important question, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking uh, an athletic brewing company, because the clue's in the name, yes. and it's a hazy IPA. Uh, and it's called a free wave. Are those good? I keep getting ads for them in my mm. Facebook feed. <laughs> it's very good. Uh, I actually started drinking it a couple of years ago just for a change and mm. stuck with it since then. I'm pretty much I'm alcohol free. Um, not for any other reason that I just don't need all those extra calories. Um, you know, it's a 60 calorie ish can, depending on which type you buy compared to two or three times that you know if you've got the alcohol in it um, it's good and um that's really what counts i like the taste of beer i don't need the the buzz or the or the headache like most people I guess. yeah i i would agree i've i've had the athletic brewing ones those are good i'd also if you're what is it uh, uh sober curious yeah uh the <laughs> The other the other ones that are really good that I've uh, been drinking at various times on the different podcasts are the Brew Dog, which is uh, a, another uh, brewery that makes mm-hmm. alcohol free versions of all their beers. Yeah, 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 yeah. As I say, I just uh, got switched onto it and stuck with it, and um, yeah, it's just the, just about the taste. Right. I actually yeah. have. I knew. I now have a Trapiche Malbec. Red wine, so or Trapiche Reserve Malbec, I should say. So, yes, it's late enough now here in North America that I actually have switched on to the uh, glass of wine tonight. And Lauren, uh, so I have right now a giant hard kombucha, it's a Venice peach, so it's a really sweet hard kombucha, and it almost is making me want one of those uh non alcoholic beers that we have here at Camp Bogenberg. John. Yeah, I'm. I've started with a uh, black Manhattan, which is a Manhattan, but you substitute the vermouth for Averna, which is a uh, an amaro that that's kind of it's herbal, kind of Coca Cola y. Um, a little so, bitter. Yeah, it's good. Delicious. And then you know, most most started before the the podcast started, so uh, we have a original pattern zapped on Zappa IPA on deck. Okay. So, um, you know, because it comes through so well on the uh, podcast, uh, I've, the, uh, the the art on the can of uh, my whistling paddler, um, English best bitter is uh, it, it, wonderful with a, uh, is, is a naked lady? place tent and uh <laughs> It is at least a naked person. Just take a photo of it and put it up, Craig. It's, it is I, cool. I, that, that was actually the plan the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Stuart, uh, let's let's get started with uh, athletic history. What's your what's your uh, athletic background? background? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, um, let me think. Team sports in school. Uh, I uh, played rugby and did track and field, a little bit of basketball, uh, a bit of tennis, and that was kind of it. Then a massive gap 
probably 25 year gap. <laughs> and I decided at the ripe old age of 35 or 38, in fact, that I should run a marathon before I was 40. Wow. So I decided that I would do that. So I started training for a marathon and actually did it just before my 40th birthday. Nice. Uh, got into the running, just kind of kept, kept, kept with the running. Marathons got longer and then moved into trail running and then ultra marathons. Mm -hmm. So progressed my way up through those uh, into a 50K, which is 31 miles, then to 100K, then to 100 miles. Um, on the side, I did a little bit of cycling just for cross training, um, you know, just to you know, keep, keep the weight off my knees. Mm. And then I met my partner, Becca, and we got married. And she said, well, you've done running and cycling. You should do triathlon. I said, well, I can't swim, really. <laughs> I mean, if I fell off a boat, I wouldn't drown. But swimming is, you know, completely different. But she talked me into it. So I um, started swimming in December. In the spring, I did my first triathlon, which was a sprint triathlon. There was no sprinting on my part. It was more of a sort of lumber uh, around. And that was in March. And then November of that year, I did an Ironman. So I progressed from a sprint to an Olympic to a half Ironman to a full Ironman in about nine months. You already had the marathon on your legs. So yeah, that yeah is, uh, I had the marathon. I did right. the cycling. Not just, not just the marathon, just a 100 right. miles. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So, yeah, you already had the full endurance spec with the 100 miles, but it, that's a, an impressive uh, trajectory for sw swimming. Yeah this, yeah. this will not be a run is a dirty word podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's fine. That's Running fine. is good. Good. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so then the following year, I said, well, I can stick with this triathlon a little bit longer. And then I started off the season and I was really, really sick and the, the, my whole season just fell apart. I had pneumonia, then I had something else and the whole year was just a disaster. Then the following year, I thought I'd try triathlon again. And January 2nd, I had a horrendous crash on my bicycle, uh, face planted over my tri bike into the road, broke my nose, broke my fall with my nose, didn't break my nose. Um, and uh, and that was that that was the end of my triathlon career so went back to running um bagged another 50 miler uh and that was the end of that and then just stuck with cycling thereafter um got into gravel bike riding and uh this was 2006 no, so 2016, 2000, yeah, around 2016, was able to sign up for what was Dirty Kanza is now Gravel Unbound. Didn't know what I was doing, but signed up for a 200 the full, mile gravel ride. Uh, yep, the full, the full the, Dirty Kanza, yeah, the, the 200. Dirty, yeah, the wow. 200. Did that. Um, did a few other bits along the way. Um, I've Everested a couple of times, three times outdoors, once indoors. A um, couple of other big gravel events uh, along the way. Uh, Belgian waffle ride a couple of times. Okay. Um, Crusher and the Tasha. This year I'm going back to Gravel Unbound just to do the 100. Uh, Crusher and the Tasha again. And then Steamboat Gravel later on in the summer. Ooh. So you really like the long stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of a diesel. Yeah, very much so. I mean, that said, I've trained when I was running for shorter races. Um, because everybody wanted to go long. So, well, that's okay, but let's see how fast I could go. So 
I used to have pretty reasonable 5K, 10K and a half mm. marathon times for an old guy. I mean, I have a 19-minute 5K, um, 42-minute, I think, 10K and a 128 for my half marathon. I almost got a Boston qualifier. I was mm. on target. Uh, I was 20 miles in at 220 and then blew up catastrophically. Spent <laughs> an hour to do the last 10K. Were you, were you puking all over Mandalay Bay? Or... <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to listen to last week's episode and Brent revealing everyone who was first half marathon to understand that inside joke. Got it. Okay. Okay. No. Uh, no. So, so, yeah, so my, my, quite an in-depth background, probably yeah. way more than information than you needed. But... No, that's no, amazing. Awesome. What's so yeah. uh, is the is the hundred the longest run you ever did? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I assume you just did it the once. <laughs> Just the once. Uh, it was a hundred miles. So long story, of course, because it's a long race. Mm-hmm. Um, I had trained originally for a race that's in, I, I, I used to live in California and just moved recently, but I trained originally for a race called the Angeles Crest 100, which is just based outside of Los Angeles. And there was a massive fire that year. Uh, and so they canceled the race. Um, so looking around, I obviously had all the training in the bank. So I was trying to find an alternate race. There was one in Arizona I could have gone to, or there was this one in Portland or in Oregon that I went to. And that was the one I went to um, called 100 in the Hood. It actually was 102 mm. miles, but they, you know, whatever at that point. Um, <laughs> so the long story details. short was, details, yeah. The long story short here was that I stumbled uh around mile 30 and unknown to me at the time i'd actually uh torn one of my quad muscles anyway stumbled on and then you ran 70 miles and then i ran another 70 miles (laughs) and then i got carried out the last two (laughs) oh my goodness okay because i'd I'd actually timed out um and it was like you know so yes long story short and that was my first ambulance ride so that was interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, not a good day, really. Mm-mm. Good story, but not such a good day. Maximum anecdotal appeal, which is Sean's oh, principle yeah. of life. Yeah, so. yes. Yes. like do it. Yes. Do whatever's going to make the better story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just keep oh, yeah. running on a torn quad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have a photograph of my. Uh, I was in hospital. I had a photograph of one leg. My knee is literally the size of my head. Uh, compared to my other name all right i'm expecting this uh the comments on this episode post to be full of interesting pictures maybe if people (laughs) want to share them i have a couple i i have an old blog it's very dusty and a bit stale Mm. but it does have a lot of these race reports on there so i can send you the link for that and there are some photographs there too wow excellent and then how did you get into zwift yeah oh zwift so um Training for triathlon, training for you know cycling in general. Uh, I was a very early adopter of power. I had a power meter back in 2013. Mm. Um, when the stages first came out, I was one of their very first customers. Uh, Zwift was in beta in 2014, and you one of the qualifying criteria was that you had to have a power meter. So I applied to be a beta tester. My Zwift ID is 411. wow so that's how long i've been on zwift uh so i was a beta tester had a horrendous time 
uh, it used to be super intense on the PC that I was running on. So I'd, I'd be good for riding around um, the very small island that it was back then about four times. Then my PC would overheat. and hold <laughs> it. That was just Hilly Route in the OG incarnation, I think, right? Isn't that basically it? It's downtown to Hilly and back? Uh, it was Jarvis, right? It was Jarvis, yeah. So you had uh, uh, just one island, yeah. Um, wow. Very, very old. I have some really old uh, screenshots from back then as well. Uh, and you used to have ghost races, which are kind of like the paces that you have now in their look, different feel. They just used to whiz by you, but that's, that's what you had. And you'd get on and they'd be in the corner, you'd see 12 other Zwifters. <laughs> and were you just using, like you had stages power meter? That's what you had? That's what I had. I had stages power meter and a Kirk Kinetic trainer. Oh yeah, because I was gonna say I've got I've got still that I use to this day a hub based power tap. Okay. Yeah. And that, uh that would work. But I don't use that for when I ride Zwift. I have a I have a 2014 era kicker. Oh, so nice. I've got uh I'm with you. I'm in that era of power adoption as well. Yeah. So you're and then so did you like from early Zwift days is like 2015, 16? Uh 14 I started. 14. Yeah, now my first ride was in 14, used it a little bit, uh, on and off, on and off, and then and then finally came back to it and you know been using it much more on recently for obvious reasons. When did you yeah. start really using that as a main training tool? So I've always trained indoors because it's just time efficient. So yeah. I, I've been an early adopter of um, of having a trainer. I had a, um, a, a very early... Um, not a kinetic, but the Saris is now the brand. I forget what it was back then. Um, probably in 2010, 2011. Um, but that was literally the, you know, put on an MP3 player and stare at the wall. Uh, and that's what you did. Um, so then Swift. And then, you know, in between then there was, um, used to be able to get DVDs. Uh, and uh, I have one of those yeah. spinnables. <laughs> spinnables was one, and then you'd also get um, it was sort of the precursor to what's now the Coal Collective on YouTube, and it mm. used to be the, the Latap uh, video, and they'd go out and do a recon mm. of the Latap ride of the Tour de France, and you know film it and turn it into a DVD, so you could buy that and then you know kind of follow it along. And it was designed for people that were going to go out and do that event. Well, I never did the event, but I have the DVDs. But yes, I have some spinnables as well. Um, I don't even think I actually have a DVD player now, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do with all these DVDs. Um, but then um, earlier Doctor of the Sufferfest, and then Trainer Road. And I'm a two-time Tour of Sufferlandria finisher. There you go. Yeah. Well, this is my 11th year of the Tour of Sufferlandria. Wow. So it's it's my now it's my officially my longest streak. Um, this is day six, day five of the 11th year. Yeah. yeah I never. I never made the transition to subscription on Sufferfest. Okay. Yeah. So I had it when you would download it, and if you really wanted to go all out, they'd send you a DVD, uh, or you could of course burn your own DVDs. Uh, but yeah, I've done my Sufferlandria knighthood, which is 10 of them back to back. Yeah, just kind of glum for punishment. For, for those of you who are listening who don't know what the Sufferfest is, they are extraordinarily intense workout videos that are um, 
the, the, there's a workout structure to each of the videos and then it's time to like a bunch of race footage so in the race so lots of them have like a little story and stuff so like when you if anyone also watches my like race recap videos a lot of that like style of humor and things that come in yeah. are out of having done all those Summerfest videos like there's stuff where like a tyrannosaurus is chasing you and the <laughs> ds is telling you to friggin pedal on and and yeah you know they, they, they tempt they you with a donut it's, like a, it's good stuff yeah there's a story that goes through which obviously is distraction right i mean that's the whole purpose <laughs> yeah, of yeah, it yeah. there's a there's a musical soundtrack that they've overlaid which they've tied in with what you know the effort that you're riding at um but it's yeah it's all high intensity interval training yeah yeah it's good stuff but yeah yeah i, I used to do it um when they had like trainer did you ever use trainer road yeah yeah and you, they used to work together very nicely um yeah. not so much now but, yeah. Uh, but yeah so so yeah i've been a long-term indoor trainer user uh of many many platforms um you know most recently obviously zwift and you know like you i've got a wahoo kicker now and a climb and um a dedicated indoor bike and that's that's the life we lead right this is a this is just a, a quick sidebar we'll get back to uh everything else but how do you find have you ridden up the uh the radio tower climb with the kicker climb and how does that how does that feel because we were talking about that on the race broadcast today okay um yes i have and you almost feel like you're going to fall over uh yeah but you know it actually works really well uh, i i actually really like the, the climb as a piece of equipment it's you know it gets you to use those muscles that you want to use standing mm. up that you just don't engage when you stand up on the bike and it's just on a block huh this makes um, me want one yeah <laughs> um, and, the, and the trick to buy one you're in the US is to get it from REI because you'll get the, your money back through the dividend. Oh. Hmm. Sean's saying I don't want one. She oh. wouldn't have a kicker, so it wouldn't work. Oh, it wouldn't work. No, you have to have no. a kicker. Well, I mean, right. I need, yeah, I'd need a whole different setup. So need, Sean, she, well, Sean, she the, needs a kicker too. No, she needs the elite <laughs> version of the climb, which I, I yeah. don't remember what that's called. Yeah, but, I do yeah. have an elite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think feeding into, we talked about like Zwift and getting into all of this. And so we'll mm -hmm. bring it back to how did you find the herd? Ah, so another long story, of course. Mm -hmm. So, so um, like, yeah, that's why I'll just keep talking <laughs> until we run out of battery. Yep. Um, I was an ambassador. It's plugged in. <laughs> I'm not. Um, <laughs> I was an ambassador for the Hope Route uh, series of rides. Um, which you might not have heard of um, three years ago. So yeah. that would have been 2019. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, 2019 was the year before. I think COVID. I did those ones. Okay. So they, um, they, the Hope Route is actually a series of outdoor events. Uh, it's a three, very much a similar uh, uh, event that you have online, but it's a, a three or a five day event race. It's a race, really. Um, across some of the highest roads in Europe. They've done it in North America. They've done it a little bit in, in South America as well. Mm. Uh, hence the name, right? Hope Route is high, the higher way. Um, they uh, were looking for ambassadors for their events. And I applied and got selected with the potential of going to Europe to do it. I never actually got to go to Europe to do the event. Life got mm. in the way. Um, but they were also looking to get 
events online using Swift. So I knew a couple of people in the background of Swift because I've been the, you know, a user for a long time. So I was kind of like laying the foundation for the indoor um, uh, indoor events, uh, which you see now, which are now like you know proper formal formal events. So um, and I've lost track of the original question. Remind me. How'd you find the herd? The herd. Thank you. So we were looking for um, people to come and join our group, right? Come and join the Hope Route Ride. We were running hosted events once or twice a week. So the way to do that is Facebook's a great opportunity. So I joined a whole bunch of Facebook groups as little old me joining these groups, trying to lure people away from what was then not that many um, official rides, if any, from the herd, but come and join our event. And that's how I found the herd. And there were some other groups that were not as welcoming, and I left those yeah. and stayed with them. Funny how that works, right? <laughs> yeah, we've never talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're out there, trust me. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so now I've been with the herd since 2019, probably the fall of 2019. December 2019, the herd started, um, James told us today. Okay. So, so he, he was checking his messages. He's got a message from Marius from like December of 2019. Wow. Okay. So, so, well, I wasn't far off from digging it yeah. out of my memory. Yeah. yeah I think the, yeah, the first herd, the fir first official herd ride, I think was January 2020. No, sorry. January 2019. January 2019. You were off by a year. Mm. Oh, I'm off by a year. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I'm looking now and, uh, what April 3rd, 4th, 5th of 2020, there was the Hope Route Watopia that was right after all of the lockdown, the COVID lockdown started. That's right. Uh, and I, I, that was during, I think that was when I got my, uh, what, what is it on Zwift, the unemployed badge or whatever it is where you've ridden for some so many days, in, days a in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was I right in the middle changed. of, yeah. I think work they've changed the name of it now for PC reasons, but uh, yeah. yeah, now now it's work from home. Yeah, right. work from home yeah. badge. Yeah. yeah, I do both. <laughs> Don't we all? Check. <laughs> yep. And Sean is looking this up in the thing that I know James alluded to in the earlier podcast. He's looking up his data in Golden Cheetah, which oh. James suggested we might talk about. Yeah. So let's. Um. I guess. Um maybe get into what we understand you also do like coaching and training or helping other athletes with their objectives or stuff to that of it, putting together plans or workouts. How did you get into that kind of thing? So, yeah, so I do. Um, I'm USAC certified level two. Uh, I was a level three way back when really, when I really, when my emphasis moved away from running uh, much more into just cycling and, and it's, I'm just naturally curious, right? So how to, how do I get better at? And I knew from running that, you know, structure training, following a plan, you know, having some discipline, that's what's needed. Um, and the, the the level three exam is just an open book, book exam. Download the book, read it, pay the money, take the tests, get the certification. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, so, you know, that, that was fine. But, you know, I kept up my own uh, learning, you know, through just through books and online and podcasts and what have you. Um, then back in 2019, uh, uh, my wife and I, we set up an indoor uh, Wahoo studio. 
So we were um, having clients come in and we would write you know, rides for them in, and provide them all the equipment. And we started that in the off season. Of course, COVID came along and killed that. So, but before that happened, we both went off and we did our level two uh, certifications, which really is is the much more nuts and bolts of of learning how to build a training plan, how to structure training, you know, to 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 meet the goal of the event rather than just you know general sort of physiology, which the level three is much more about. Um, so I kind of combination of all these events led to the herd, led to me being a qualified coach, led to me really just being in the Facebook group and somebody saying, you know, I keep riding, I'm not getting any faster. What am I doing wrong? And there was lots of advice, some good, some <laughs> not so good. Um, we specialize in the not so good here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Uh, lots of it anecdotal. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I just took it upon myself to, to reach out to, to Jeff, his name and behind the scenes and to say, Hey, you know, show me your Strava, show me, you know, send me a link or two and I'll take a look at your data. And, uh, one thing led to another and I just gave him some pointers and helped him out a little bit. Um, and connected him to my coaching account through training peaks. So I could see quite what he was doing and, uh, and he got a lot better. And he was very happy with that, of course, strangely. Um, and I never really promoted myself in the in the group. But shortly after that, um, Marius reached out to me and said, hey, can you write a training plan for the herd? Would you be prepared to do that? And it's like, yeah, I can do that. Um, what sort of plan do you think you want? And it's like, well, just a basic beginner's plan. And that's how the traditional beginner's plan got created mm. which is a very traditional beginner's plan and it really is aimed at people who are struggling with you know i keep riding more and i'm just getting worse or i've come back from injury um and it's a very gentle plan just kind of eases you in there's lots of built-in rest um and lots of built-in structure to it we should have given mm. that plan to tatum <laughs> Inside joke. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. Tatum's fine. Uh, okay. More or less. He, he, we he hope. Was <laughs> it was broken for a while. Uh, coming back from COVID, he maybe didn't uh, take rest things easy enough. and rest and do all yeah. the things he needed to. Went then had a to, mild cardiac event. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too, too much too soon. Yeah. Some people too. push push pretty hard so yeah beginner it, coming back from injury plans are important it wasn't just uh did too much too <laughs> soon it was did all seven of the uh herd winter <laughs> racing rides so it was seven 20 minute races over a weekend like two weeks out from covid so mm. yeah sorry tatum but not the best plan no <laughs> no no definitely not so anyway, so yeah, that's how the traditional plan came about. And of course, then people did that and said, well, what next? So then I built out the sweet spot plan. Uh, then there was the climbers plan. I think Craig's done that. Um, and then COVID came along. So it's like COVID ruined, ruined all my races plan, which is like a four week, a four week bridge. Because who knew, right? Four weeks, oh, yeah. so we'll be done with. We'll be back in four weeks and ready to ride outside again. Exactly. Just, just keep, you know, just keep ticking over for four weeks and we'll just pick up where we left off. Yeah. Um, and then I do four times over. Yeah. Are you going to write the, are you going to write the four year, the four year plan? <laughs> yeah. The annual plan. 
um, <laughs> and then most recently there's the stronger for longer so um, and they all kind of build a little bit I actually put together a flow chart because nice. I'm a pro project manager in real life <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so you can kind of follow the flow depending on where you want to go where you see your weaknesses and they're all structured obviously so they can be executed on Zwift um, you need some you know a basic training peaks account but you can also use them outdoors. So if people want to train outdoors and you've got a head unit, they, you can port them over to your head unit. Uh, I'm a great believer in like, get off the, get off the train and go and ride up and down a hill eight times in real life, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's how the herd training plans came about. And then on the back of that, people have used them and then reached out to me, you know, can I, can I take it to the next level? Can I get, yeah. you know, can I get personal. coaching? Your mm -hmm. personal coaching. Yeah. Or can I get a custom plan? uh they've got an event in mind and coaching is not for everyone if you're actually fairly self-motivated um and you like training not everybody likes it but if you like training then a plan is really all you need you know um and i'll always go back in and tinker with it and i send out a draft and say hey is this good does this fit in with your life is it too much is it not enough are you good you know does this weekend have a wedding have you got a school graduation what do i need to work around so I've got a few folks that I've built plans for. There are a lady that's going out to um, France in July. She's going to ride some of the Tour de France route. Nice. So I'm training her. Um, and a couple of people are doing the Vatarundan ride in Sweden. Mm. So coaching them. Uh, one, one's coach, one's got a plan. And then, yeah, I have a very small stable of clients that I coach. Too, too many is too much. Um, it just gets, it's, it, you can't give the level of service that you want and right. you just end up, it's just too much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, it's a side gig that I passionately enjoy, uh, but it also pays for my passion. So. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm really interested in this because I've been toying with the idea of also turning it into a side thing. I've been dabbling, coaching, by coaching, coaching her for free and, uh, right. But so uh, you mentioned that you've been, uh, you know, a Sufferfest user, a Trainer Road user. Mm -hmm. um, training Peaks. Tra well, is that Training Peaks is is part of uh, is a an online coaching platform okay. that that if you are a coach, it really helps to Got it. kind of bring in your athletes through there. I'm asking the newbie questions Which for okay. myself and that's for okay. others. That's, that's Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you self-coach? Do you build around those other platforms? How do you how do you approach it for yourself? Uh, I do self-coach mostly. Um, I've kind of been an experiment of one for a long time. Um, sometimes it's failed and sometimes it's worked. But yeah, typically I do self-coach. Um, I understand what works well for me. I do know where my weaknesses lie and to a degree i'm lucky that my weaknesses are not needed in the events of my choice um i'm a really crappy sprinter but you don't need to sprint after a hundred mile ride yeah. um hopefully doing uh, some would be interesting it's the, yeah, it's the difference be between <laughs> like finishing fifth or sixth or like you might be with one other person yeah. right yeah exactly yeah um, so yeah, no, I do self-coach. Uh, I do spend a lot of time doing research and, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of training, not so much coaching, but training 
remain the same. It's all about overstressing your system, building in the recovery, letting your body re re rebuild, regroup, and then doing it all over again, right? And that's the sort of the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts of it. Build in recovery during the week, then expand that out to like you know, a, a block. Block could be three weeks on, one week off, two weeks on, one week off. Could be 10 days on and four days off. It just depends. Uh, and then you can expand that out and you know, sprinkle in your A, B, and C events throughout the year. And that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, so is there, based around that, is there something that you see herd racers or Zwift racers in general that you think is the, the biggest thing that people are doing wrong if they want to actually get faster? Mm. Oh, no, there's a touchy subject. I know. <laughs> That's why I asked. So my biggest criticism of Zwift is that it's always on, always available, and there's always something to do. Um, with hindsight, coaching riders, which I have done and, and I am doing right now, for particularly the Zwift Racing League or, or any of the leagues, let's say, um, I really try to limit uh, people to one race a week. Um, it's really hard to train and race at the same time. You can maintain a certain level at the same time. And part of that maintenance is building a lot of recovery, but actually training to get better and race it, because they're, they, they're fundamentally, they're in opposite. Um, they're in conflict with each other. Right. When you, when you race, you want to be as energy efficient and conservative as you can be. So it's not always the strongest person that wins the race. It's usually the smartest. Um, and when you go back and look at your power numbers, you might find, well, I actually, you know, yeah, there were a couple of spikes here and there, but overall I was just in tempo. Uh, I wasn't at threshold. Whereas for training, we want to put you in a certain place keep you there for a certain period of time and that may be well above race pace uh, for a reason so it's really really hard to um, balance between training and racing and with a view to improving um, one client i've got at the moment he did the last league and he got to like race five i think of eight and he just fell off a cliff so mm. now um, this time around you know, he's, he's managed to get through the whole season, you know, without any real issues um, because we've kind of pulled some levers and twiddled some knobs. And yes, we did a lot of training. We did a lot of training in between the season, gave him a good, you know, post the, the prior season, gave him time off, um, ramped him up into the season, ramped him up during the season. But then, then as we kind of got to that week five, six, we let him coast to down. Um, so he, his hardest ride of the week would have been his race. So that's, again, another super long answer to a very short question. No, that's really, really interesting. And yeah, that's useful because so so with Sean helping me, I have gone pretty much to one race a week. Right. And that is a big shift from where I started out being like, oh, well, I want to race. I just want to be in every race I can. I just, I, that's what motivates me. That's what I find fun. 
but the fact that I've started to see gains from doing structured workouts mm -hmm. and also volume, I'm probably never going to do as much volume as you have done, but it is a thing that motivates me. I actually really just like being on the bike for mm -hmm. hours, including inside. As Sean said recently, I'm an indoor specialist who's trying to work on being outside more. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I didn't at first want to do structured trainings. I found workouts really boring. I didn't think that I would be motivated at all by doing any workouts. And so being able to shift into a place where I'm actually seeing benefits from the workouts, I'll complain about them all the time. And Craig knows this the best, probably even more than Sean, because Craig and I are in enough of the same uh, like Facebook messenger chats that he hears me griping about this all the time. But like the workouts are hard, mm -hmm. but I'm actually seeing that they're working. I think yeah, that yeah. the uh, the thing that she that finally probably flipped the switch for her was having uh, a structured week of was it three or four VO two max <laughs> workouts where it was just like let's really hit this and then maintain that, and then you started seeing like oh, I can just do this now in the races. Yep. I got yeah. into a race and it's like, oh, the place in a race where I want to quit felt similar to the last VO2 max interval where, where I always want to quit. And I realized because I can finish that last interval in the VO2 max workout, I can do that in a race. I can dig into where that is and I know what that feels like and I can still go. Yeah, and there's a lot of mental security that comes yep. from being able to execute yes. hard workouts yes. well. Um, because, you know, when you are in a race, like I said earlier, you, you want to be conservative, but not all, you don't always get that opportunity, right? Sometimes you've got to bridge the gap, make the break, ride off the front, whatever it is. And if you know that you can do that, um, that then that's a great tool to have in your toolbox. So. I'm also a reformed runner, Stuart. <laughs> um, so I, I just uh, that whole little s snippet of conversation there just struck me as so opposite of me as a runner, uh, not necessarily as a cyclist. But when I was training with my uh, with my real, it was centered around the university team. But there was a lot of the guys that had graduated, fast guys that had graduated, and were still in the area. It's a pretty good training group. Um, and when we went out and did workouts, um, I wasn't one of the fastest, I was, you know, kind of one of the faster guys in group two, but okay. then when we went out and had an in-club meet, I'm with group one. Yeah. It's where I always found in racing, I had a limiter in a workout mm -hmm. and I could totally go past that, in a race. that. Yeah. yeah way past that in a race and i don't know what whatever it is about keeping score just makes me go so that, that's one where and i think brent you've got a little bit of this in you too where it when you're do, doing a race a, a specific kind of race to get a specific training effect can work if you're trying to go deep too yeah, I mean, I, that's, I, I think there are certain things you can do like that in Zwift. Like if you do time trials that are like 20K time trials, you can replace your 20 minute threshold block with that kind of a thing. There, there are some things you can't, you can't 
train and race for at the same time they don't work like i don't know that you could like i've been doing bullseyes for like sprint training but if you're being really honest with yourself you're probably not getting all you can out of the sprints because you got to still hold the group and so you're actually like taking on too much fatigue in between the sprints and you should be sitting down at like full recovery pace um you know doing like those five minute type threshold plus things you just can't race that because you don't you're not going to do seven of those in a in an hour you know no. in a it race this doesn't so, lend itself to it you and then yeah. you have the, the rest so, period in between go hard for seven minutes and then just like pedal at 50 percent for two minutes yeah. everyone's just going to ride off from yeah that so yeah. you're not wrong craig and and i thought the theory was you're the kind of person who goes across the threshold when you're in a race compared to in your workout which i think is a little bit true for me too i will say the difference between running and biking though is someone who's also done both i've done a bunch of triathlons and stuff too Stuart. although not an iron man just half something olympics a bunch of olympics um is like when you're doing zwift and stuff you can see the numbers and when you run like I, maybe when you're doing like marathons you can check your pace but like if you're running even like a 5k or a 10k you can't really like oh, check no. the pace so it's all going to be by feel whereas like in Zwift like it's right there on the screen and mm -hmm. there is like a certain amount of like mental confidence that comes from like no I know I can sit on this 400 watts for five minutes and I can make this break and when you're running you just got to kind of like run until you like i don't this is as fast as i can go and you gotta feel well that's it. right yeah and, and, and in a uh, race you can go like i can feel i can make it to the line yeah yeah and you know out, outside you i mean yes you have the numbers on the bike computer and yes you do my everything on the watch but you're not looking at your watch during a 5k or a 10k you're looking at the person in front you know, and hopefully there are no more people in front but yeah. that that that's what you're looking at and you have to you you have to race the race you can't race you know dictated to by numbers because you could like i say have the strongest number but not win um it's 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 it's, it, I mean, it's interesting that um i know you can turn the hud off in zwift now i don't know if you can do that for racing but i always thought that would be an interesting yeah. um option just turn it off for everyone i've had free there races was, and, then you, and then you race that would on, be interesting see lisa what's jones, going on lisa jones did a race recently where the hud was turned off by the racing organizers on purpose yep. nobody Ooh, i love it, it. so yeah. that that has happened and i actually have done that in events before mm -hmm. um oh it was the herd series i did it in a series once over the summer when i was racing with actually there were a, there was a good collection of new zealanders in that race some some women that i've really connected with they were wonderful they helped me work on my sprints and for one of the sprints i was just like you know what i just need to go and i don't want to see where they are really where i i don't want to see any of it i just want to go Right. And I won that sprint segment. So it, it, it helped me in certain cases. Sometimes for the ZRL, I, I don't, I think about doing it and I don't because of my teammates, because there's things that I'm looking at that are related to where they're racing. But in other races, I've definitely tried it before. And I think it can be helpful. I, yeah, I know. I know. In some of the time trials, everybody's you know what's per kilo is worked out, and they have their specific pull times. And yeah. and in that in that instance, yes, of course, it's it's needed. But in a group race where it's just you, it's you know it could be fun. I mean, we all throw the towel over the front of the treadmill for a reason, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to look at numbers. I think this. I, if James listens to this, which I would assume he will, uh, hey James, maybe set up a uh, a no oh. HUD racing league uh on one of the like a weekly race where it's just mm. you yeah. just have to race that would be fun yeah it's funny because i i really don't uh look at that i don't look at the numbers much uh during the race I, I'll, I'll 
look at them after I obsess with about them after, but uh, yeah, no, it's, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the pixel wheel, the, you know, it's just pixels, but I'm looking at the wheel and uh, I'm holding that wheel until I can't. It's um, hard when and, I'm an obsessive. And so the, it all distracts me. I all get like really too focused in it. Although it did help when I did the, the first race for the Iceni the other day, I was actually looking at the numbers and like, yeah, I think I can hold this. It was a, a Stuart, it was an ITT no. and it was the best one that I've done in a while. So, ever. Ever. So I think, yeah, if James sets up a race with, uh, with HUD free and then uh, locks the point of view to first person, um, mm. that's about as realistic Ooh. as you're going to make it, right? That'd be fun. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. It would be super interesting. I mean, I, you know, I haven't raced much lately at all but first person always seems to work best for me to find that oh, really? uh, you huh. can just just, oh, just, so, just so you can judge it yep. um if you don't get motion sick <laughs> yeah so uh, actually, i do uh, brent i, I will do. say i've i've played with the first person and i i've toyed with using it on uh ttt because i did mm. find i could get in the draft a lot better of a exactly. single rider yeah, I think that's why I've been more inclined to use it because the huh. over the head view or the sort of default view, yeah. um, you really struggle to gauge that distance from the rider in front. Whereas in first person, you can get right on their wheel and, you know, Stay overlap there. them, <laughs> um, you know, which obviously you can't do in real life, but you can, you know, totally optimize that draft. I might have to try that. I usually just use the default view and kind of have, have steered away from using first person view, but it would be interesting to try it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I started using a, the overhead uh, when I was pulling in team time trial so that mm. I didn't, I didn't Overpull. lose my team. Yeah. So you don't ride right off the front. Yeah. Depending yeah. on what team I'm on um, the ZRL, usually the teams are, really tightly matched so you don't have yeah. to worry about that but the uh yeah sometimes on thursday there's a bigger gap um but yeah for any other time that that first person's really good oh that's kind of cool this i feel like since i've been on the podcast this isn't like what view you use i haven't really talked about this with anyone so that's interesting and yeah would be something I'm, i'd be interested in kind of messing around with yeah, yeah, play around with it because you know some of them are definitely better than others. I mean, the cam, the helicopter sort yeah. of three-dimensional view is fun. Yeah. That's the, that's a good one for grabbing screenshots. But you know, right, it's like cool. I've only played around with it really when I'm DSing for yeah. another group, and that yeah. yeah, because of course it is the above view is really helpful when I'm trying to mm -hmm. make sure how big are the gaps, where where are folks, do I need to like make them stick back together? But like mm -hmm. in my own riding racing haven't messed with it as much so yep. cool so i guess Stuart, i've got some i wanted to devolve into uh, some training talk here sure um so uh, i struggle with specificity and having two very different events that i do mm. so you know, where i've pretty much been an endurance athlete for I don't know, 15, 18, yeah. almost 20 years now. Okay. Close enough and yeah, yeah it, now all of a sudden I'm doing BMX racing. So <laughs> 30 second races. Yes. <laughs> so 
Yeah, I'm really, so I, I'm digging into that. Um, I'm getting my coaching certification for BMX racing this, this winter. Cool. And yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I, so I've, I've, I'm starting to do that training, but I still like the road biking and the, the longer stuff. So I, I'm, tr- I'm really trying to meld the two, you know, trying to, how much can I do without completely destroying the other and getting nothing accomplished? So yeah, I'm, I'm di- right now I'm kind of on my hard days after my hard. So after my hard road bike workout, mm-hmm. I'll do, I'll do weights. Um, and then some, I think as I get closer to, so, I mean, we're, we, I still have, you know, a meter and a half of snow in the front yard. So the BMX <laughs> bike isn't coming out for a while. Right. But uh, the, uh, yeah, probably once a week doing sprints on the BMX bike instead of, uh, instead of anything on the road bike. But yeah, it's how much of each can I do? It depends. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Something we didn't record. The answer is always, it depends. (laughs) That's right. So, I mean, obviously from your, from your background, your endurance background, your base is super deep, right? It's way deeper than the snow that you've got in the front yard. So, <laughs> but, but the specificity and I mean, BMX riding is like, a bit like track riding, right? It's an all out effort for a very short period of time at a super high, well, track riding starts off at a very low cadence. BMX is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, but, for, but my suggestion, I mean, is, is going to be, you know, yes, if that's, if that's your focus, the BMX racing, if that's your A focus, then that's where your focus needs to be. And, you know, if you, if you want to be okay at both, then do both. If you want to be good at one, then focus on one. Um, You know, you don't, and that's why you don't see marathon runners running hundred meters and vice versa. Um, Obviously to support that you've, you know, th- th- there's the training that's required for BMX yeah. riding. That's not my forte, so please don't ask for any training no, no. tips. <laughs> um, but but broadly speaking, you know, target what you what you consider to be your A event in the season, and that may be a series, maybe a series of BMX races or you know ZRL or, or whatever. But work towards that, um, and then, and then have you know back out of it and have some B and C events, which again could be another bmx series or something yeah yeah so yeah definitely the problem with bmx is too much racing where it's uh it's all cumulative points so you're you're rewarded the more you race so that's it's a horrible sport that way right how many races are there craig in like a series how many cumulative points like how many races do you do uh so i do maybe uh i mean i i've total done less than 100 races over three years but it's um like typically some riders are doing four or five races a week wow okay okay and and each one of each one of those races it has three heats in it and some of them are some of them are racing two bikes and doing so doing six races (laughs) yeah but that's still only three minutes of racing (laughs) it is but it's it it, wow yeah it 
it's three a lot minutes, of high, it's a lot of high minutes of 30 work. second racing is big yeah. yeah a lot of high intensity and not uh-huh. uh, and not to forget that for that 30 seconds of racing you're warming up for 30 for 30 to 45 minutes uh, no. i i hope um <laughs> aren't you craig <laughs> everyone who's not looking at this he shook his head no yeah i mean the golden rule there is the shorter the race the longer the workout yeah no um, so i guess the this is where the format comes in so i, I do a warm-up and right. then it's it, so if i'm racing both bikes it's race the cruiser put the cruiser down pick up the class bike go, go to staging yeah race yeah. the race the class bike then pick up the cruiser go to staging race the cruiser and just switch back and forth and Toggle it's just go go, boards, go 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 yeah. go yeah yeah but it's just like a very long workout with a lots of yeah. series of intervals i mean really that you know you happen yeah. to be changing bikes in between but essentially that's like a rest period kind of yeah oh absolutely yeah. yeah but if your season if you're racing i mean how long is the season like maybe three or four months um yeah so it's here it's probably five months um this is actually so fundamentally as far as bmx goes one of the problems i think is that it is a year-round season um there's there's essentially a month off um at so grand nationals happens at think u.s thanksgiving and then uh racing starts again january 1st wow so you could race all the time and just accumulate lots and lots and lots of points or are you limited so i can't because <laughs> i live in canada no. <laughs> okay okay winter but right. uh yeah no and i i i talk so when i yeah, i talk to people that race and it, it, in southern states or places yeah. where they've got indoor options and right. yeah they i I would think it would be very challenging. It's uh, it's the same problem as Zwift, just right. Yeah, yeah. It's just available. outdoors, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it's always on, always available, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking if you're if if you're struggling with the, the length of the season, then try to peak in mid season rather than go into the beginning of it peaking and then fading. Yeah. So if you're if you can kind of put that bell curve in the middle, yep. that that may help your season elongate a little bit. Um, so honestly for me um i i'm just starting to get into training for it It, it's really all about skill development for me uh is i've got i've got more strength than i have the skill to control (laughs) there you go yeah but that's also that's a good point even for things like if you want to do well in zrl uh maybe target being really good by week six of eight or four yeah. or six that's uh, right rather yeah. than coming in super hot right at the beginning yeah yeah i'm fading fast yeah. yeah or if your team is expected to make the playoffs again peaking mm-hmm. somewhere near the playoffs for the playoffs and then tapering into the playoffs that's that's right me right now um, although yeah. to be fair to anyone who's doing the playoffs, I will not be racing both races. So my team is large enough. And I've talked about this on the podcast occasionally before, but I don't need to race the TTT. So I won't be on the Tuesday race. Right. I'll only be on the points race. So yeah. my like strategy and the strategy that Sean's helped me uh, work on is different than what it might be for someone who has to race both playoff races. Got it. Yeah. And if you've got a team that's big enough, then obviously you can play to your 
riders' strengths yep. and, you know, rest them, you know, a week or two before the playoffs if you know you're going to qualify. Yep. I was like, hey, Temples and Towers early this season. I don't want to do that one. Uh, do I have to do that one? And I didn't. And I was excited about not doing it. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I mean, if you can only, if you can get away with only racing three out of four weeks, two out of three weeks, you know, if you can sit it out mentally, if you can sit it out as well. Um, I'm, I'm working off, on that, it. That's often the bigger challenge. I like that you're talking about the mental strength and the mental stuff that goes into all of this, because it's going to be different for every person, but mm-hmm. that has been really important for me. Right. Yeah. There. So that that's a kind of good thing to talk about. I feel like Zwift in general is a is a good way to uh, accidentally overtrain. Yep. Uh, so you know if you're out there and you're like, why am I no longer motivated to ride a lot? Like maybe just back off a bit. And uh, but um, there is the the difference between what you're physically capable of doing and what you are mentally motivated to do and like balancing those two things can be difficult. So when I was, you know, Lauren brought up earlier that she was just racing a lot and that was because at that point, whatever she was doing was going to make her faster. And all I was saying was like, if do, do what motivates you. Uh, And then she started plateauing and plateaued for several months and it was at a point where it was like, okay, well, do you want to get faster? Or do you want to do what motivates you? <laughs> um, right. And then once yeah. you start getting faster, then it's a different form of motivation. Yeah, totally. Yep. It was a switch. There have been multiple like switches as I've been, oh, this is interesting. Oh, that's yeah. now happening. Oh, huh. Maybe right. this training does work for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's, uh, an unfortunate byproduct, right? When your beginner uh, gains and improvement and strength and speed is is fast, right? You accumulate it quickly, but it's it, it the, hard, the better you get, the gains become harder and harder and harder, uh, and that's when you actually have to do less to get better. Yeah. Sometimes when you get up to our age, you're just happy to keep it even. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm well on the downswing, so yes, I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's some. That's an interesting point, though, about measuring gains and stuff. Because, like, especially for for people who are new to cycling, new to training, new to all that stuff, like one of the first things that happens is you get on Zwift and you do a ride, and it says some magical sparkly <laughs> papers fall out of the sky until your FTP is something, mm-hmm. and right. then people will chase that number. You're now 150. Doing now what, you're like whatever they're doing. Now you're 190. Up. Yeah. And, and you know, I guess maybe for some people, like you know, they don't appreciate what a training zone is. They don't appreciate like what, what FTP means. And if, is it better for every race or is it better for what you're doing? Like, what is your objective? Because, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what your perspective on that is, but I think it's, it's helpful if people understand sort of what FTP is, what it means. And is it a thing that you should be chasing, thinking that number bigger every day? Because I know, I, I don't think that is necessarily, especially when you get to someone like me, who's, hasn't changed his FTP in a year and a half. If that's what you're on for, um, you're going to be in a dark hole for a long time at some point. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, you know, FTP is a snapshot in time. It's 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 what you did on that day. I mean, it's defined as you know what your power output for a quasi steady state uh, ride of sixty minutes. 
um you know if you went any more harder, or less 60 minutes <laughs> yeah if you went any harder you wouldn't reach 60 minutes and if you were if you went any easier you could have ridden harder <laughs> basically um and then there are various ways of calculating it right i mean you've got the uh, the classic ramp test that Swift does, and that you know, seventy-five percent of your last completed minute. And there's the ramp light if you're a lighter weight rider. Um, oh, she didn't know about that. I didn't. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's. Uh, I am a lighter weight rider. One hundred and twenty pounds, one hundred twenty-five pounds. If you're sub that, <laughs> it's recommended to do the ramp light. I am sub that. Interesting. Huh. Right, there you go. I had yeah. no idea. The only time I've weighed 125 pounds is when I've been lifting weights in college. Don't worry, we're okay. never going to have you do a ramp test again. So, <laughs> also, so your, your power is high enough to use the other one, Lauren. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. Um, Craig. You've actually got an alternative test, which is um, uh, the two times eight minute test, um, mm. which yep. is not available on Zwift, but you can still do it as a free ride. Um, yep. And you, after a good warm up, you go as hard as you can for eight minutes. Take ten minutes off, super easy. Go as hard as you can for eight minutes, and take um, it's either ninety or ninety-five percent of your best eight minutes. Huh. Um, there's the twenty-minute test, which we all love to hate, um, and that's self-explanatory. And, and if you really want to go all in, you can. Most do people don't ever actually do it. Like on Zwift, people are getting their twenty-minute number based on a race. That's right. Uh, and I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the original, like the, the 20 minute protocol actually includes a five minute yep. blowout, uh, beforehand where you reduce some of that anaerobic capacity and then go do your 20 minutes. There is that uh. in some tests. Yes. And so now it's all becoming a little bit fractured with, depending on what platform you use, what test you get. Uh, the Sufferfest has its own t completely different testing protocol. Yeah. And that, that tests different uh, zones, which yeah. I think Brent touched on earlier. Uh, Zwift has the 20-minute block, which you take 95% of. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for some athletes, I actually spend a whole week testing them. And each day they'll get a specific test, wow. one of which is the 60-minute test. So that is Ooh. a pure, all you can do, for 60 minutes um test and that's your result i did a um, bad one up the alp recently yeah, which i was yeah. just not ready for it just now the alps doing it up the alps interesting because <laughs> it's a little bit misleading you can ride a lot harder up the alp than you can on the flat oh i can't no, we're getting heads shaking oh really interesting mm -hmm. okay well i think some of that is like it depends a little bit on your equipment. It depends a little bit on how it's set up. I mean, it depends I think you're a lot speaking on to your like motivation. Yeah, I think you're speaking to like generally the cause you can ride harder up hills. Hill. Yeah, yeah, but on a on a like I don't have a climb or anything, so I'm just all it does is make my trainer spin less fast, really. And you know, everybody has different things of how they do things, and for me, I just find I can't. Whatever that cadence resistance matrix of where my pedal stroke is most efficient is not when that resistance is at. 12% on a Zwift ride with my 50% trainer difficulty on. <laughs> got, it, got it. Got it. Okay. But, interesting. I mean, yeah. everybody, like it's a little, those things, those little really fine details are a little different for everyone. Right. So, so yeah, so I mean, FTP, as you say, is, it's, it's just a moment in time. It's not something that I think to go back to your original question, Brent, it's not something that people should chase. Um, you know, it's something that you can work 
are to improve, um, but it shouldn't be the, the end goal, really. I mean, you should, in my mind, you should have a, a, an end goal should be perhaps an event or um, general improvement, uh, but an increase in your FTP is often just a byproduct of those things. So hmm. if you are chasing an event, mm-hmm. so if, if you have the, a, a specific event as a goal, what should you be chasing? So again, it would be event specific, right? So you would train to the event. Um, if you're riding a hundred mile Grand Fondo, then you know you should work on your endurance, but that's not to say you should ignore your higher zones. Um, the way, I mean, the way that, it kind of works to simplify it. If you if you train your your base your endurance zone, that's going to allow you to ride longer. If you train your upper zones, that's going to re- allow you to ride harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, what you want to be able to do is to ride harder for longer. But if you can't, uh, what you can do is ride longer for longer or harder <laughs> for shorter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what you so doing doing like the the uh, dirty Kanza versus doing uh, UK hill climbs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Completely different events, right? Yeah. Different Requiring different skill skill sets. Mm. Uh, you don't. And also, when you get into these longer events, even indoors, it comes down to uh, coming up with a nutrition and a hydration strategy, and even a cooling strategy for indoors. Um, mm-hmm. Our bodies are remarkably inefficient. of the energy that you create is turned into heat. Um, So multiply your, whatever your wattage is by three or four. And that's what you are as a heater for your room. I'm doing call outs today. Yeah. Chris Greenland, find a remote way to turn on your fan. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. So if I'm riding at 250 Watts, I'm a 750 watt heater for my room. I'm not sure if that's how the math works, but, but yeah, no, it, 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 it turns into heat. Yeah. Like where else does it go? Yeah. He's the math guy. I, yeah. I can't check him though. So. I think it's more like you've got 750 kilojoules of heat energy that's been expended out into the world. If you've used 250 kilojoules of energy yeah. transfer, but. And it's quite interesting. I bought um, uh, a little device by made by a company called core and they, that does the um, core body temperature reading. Yep. So it doesn't oh, okay. ambient and indoor one. You just clip it onto your heart rate strap. Interesting. And if you are overheating indoors, boy, does it pick it up. Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Very interesting to see. Um, I've and, never even heard of that. Well, now we're all going to buy that. I, obviously. <laughs> unfortunately, they're not that cheap, but well, uh, it's a good investment and you can share them. So, okay. There you go. Yeah. But, and you, um, I guess, yeah, you wouldn't have to use it every ride. You could use it. You don't have to use it every ride. I mean, I just leave it clipped onto my heart rate strap. And the nice thing about it is it's chargeable. It doesn't have a uh, disposable battery. So mm. I just charge it every every week. Um, so yeah, check. It's, it's interesting. You know, ride without the fan and then ride with the fan and see what yeah. the difference is. <laughs> I can tell you the puddle in my shoes lets me know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, and and so yeah, coming back to being specific, you know, the specificity. Going back to Craig's question and 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 yours, Sean, about specificity for the event, it's really important. Um, you know, mentally and physically. I'm curious. Do you 
do training mostly on the bike in ergometer or what people might know as uh, erg mode erg mode mostly yes not always okay. though okay. and obviously when i'm training outdoors no yeah do you do you think there are benefits to not um the benefits to not training in erg mode is you get to feel what that power feels like mm-hmm. um and Obviously, when you switch off erg mode in Zwift, it re-engages the terrain. So in erg mode, terrain is negated. So you can you 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 don't feel the terrain; you just go slower. Um, so if you're riding at 250 watts on the flat, you might be doing 22 miles an hour. If you're riding 250 watts uphill up the Alp, say, you might be riding at six miles an hour. But you don't actually feel the 10. percent You just go slower it's just math in the background so i think it's good to turn it off um, from time to time so you can feel what that looks like the other issue with erg mode is um uh it tends to lock people in at a cadence and you know cadence is a very hot topic uh, i'm not going to say where your cadence should be but i'm going to say it's good to have a broad range of cadences that you can ride at <laughs> I say that all the time, Stuart. Yeah, no, I think that's super valid. Yeah. I'm curious, like, um, I've ridden ergometer, but one of the things that I always find that makes it, mm, like, challenging or different for feedback is, like, you you said an ergometer at a target power, Mm -hmm. but, like, uh, inevitably, like, you actually have a zone. Like your threshold zone four is like a zone of like 10 or 15 different watts that you can hold. Right. But what you get is like super frustrated, right? It's like one day I can do my threshold is 250 watts. The next day, if it's like 247, you get like all bent out of shape by like <laughs> dropping it by like three watts. But, you know, you really need to like realize like you had a shitty breakfast, you had a crap meeting at work, yeah, you're exactly. still doing your zone four workout, even if you're like 95% or whatever, or, you know, 98 for sure. Um, I think people like get a bit fixated on like bumping that ergometer number and you just kind of need to, you don't have that feel right. When you're out on the road, it's like, ah, I did 248 Watts. Nobody gives two craps, but it's close enough. Yeah. So, and when you, when you ride outside, you can't maintain, you know, a a straight line. It just doesn't work like that. Um, But no, that's a great point. I mean, you know, and and it's interesting, you know, some of the workouts um, I'll build in that zone, you know, let's say, it's a sweet spot workout. I know, um, you know, it's a broad range. It's 84 to 97% of your FTP. So it's a, it's a pretty broad range. So it's the top, top tempo and low threshold. But if I put it somebody at 88% at one interval and then the next interval is 92, not everybody feels it, but some people do. And it's that, that tipping point, you know, where, oh my God, this is, this is like so much harder. Well, no, it's just a couple of percent, but it feels so much harder. Um, and it's, it's very interesting to see how people respond to that. And that just reinforces that you can't ride at the same level all the time. So mixing up um, the actual percentage within a zone for the interval is, you know, can get, can get some other benefits. It's- if if your uh, zones are set right, yeah, eighty eight to ninety two can feel a lot harder, but ninety eight to one hundred two can feel a whole lot harder. Oh yeah, yeah, over unders like that is just uh, yeah, it's a whole another level of pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
So Stuart, I, I have actually a question and I, I've never asked Brent. He might be able to, he might've been able to answer it for me the whole time. So as a runner, I was a, I was the Jack Daniels school. Um, you know, the, the whole running formula. Is that like run a mile and then drink some bourbon? <laughs> that's, that's my the other Jack Daniels. I, I like the, my Jack Daniels school is don't run and just drink the bourbon. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, the whole running formula, I, yeah. I've, I've, I've had both editions and they, that, that was what I used to, bu to build my training. Um, and that and sweet spot seems to be exactly what in the running, like that's the junk miles. That's too slow to be fast and too fast to be slow. And yet there's all these plans that are based around nothing but sweet spot. And this is just something when I moved to cycling, it's just, I'm not sure what's going on. And maybe I'm just reading something wrong in the, in the switch, but. So the, the, so sweet spot is a great zone and it's not a real you know defined zone, but it's yeah. a great sort of bridge where you can develop uh, quickly but you're not overtaxing the system that you have to significantly invest in recovery so yeah. you can do back-to-back -back sweet spot zones and you can you know to get into the sort of training peaks metrics you can accumulate a lot of tss which builds up your ctl quickly um do should you do sweet spot workouts for months and months and months and months no mm -hmm. um but if you've got you know if you're starting the season and you want to ramp up reasonably quickly because you can. So I wouldn't recommend it necessarily for a beginner. It's a great, it's a great way to do that. Um, you know, it, listening to last week's show, as uh, to quote James, who quoted me, it's it's the best bang for your buck. Um, wait, wait. Acronym check: TSS and CTL. Just for uh, so TSS is training stress score. And it's a metric that's awarded or a number that's awarded uh, after you've ridden based on your IF and your duration. Your What's IF? Your IF? Is the, your IF is your intensity factor. Okay. Um, so it's just a, a simple, you know, um, technically uh, the maximum IF, uh, well, actually technically the maximum TSS you can accumulate in an hour is 100. So if you think uh, you know, an all out effort for an hour would be 100, Conversely, noodling along uh, for an hour, you might accumulate 30. Okay. And then uh, CTL. CTL is, is one of three uh, key uh, acronyms in training peaks. You have CTL, ATL, and TSB. CTL is chronic training load. So as you accumulate TSS, it's converted into this training load number. It's also known as fitness. Um, I think Strava uses it as, they call it fitness. These are all training peaks, um, trademarked acronyms, which is Got why it. not everybody can use them. Right. Uh, ATL is acute training load, um, uh, which is fatigue. And then TSB is training stress balance. And that's the balance between how fit and how tired you are. So... One is a metric of growth, one is a metric of tiredness, and one is a metric of in-between. Okay. Uh, hopefully you're looking those up online. Looks like you are, and I've got yeah. correct. I've got, I've got golden no, sheet. No, I've got a golden sheet open and, yep. and oh, okay. showing her hers. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. She's is like, it oh, this the same acronyms in golden cheetah? 
yeah, I mean, okay. I have the PMC open and it's just okay. acute shading load, chronic. And I just couldn't remember TSD. if it's the same, yeah. the same terminology because that is like the performance manager chart. Uh, so it's a yeah, performance management chart. Yeah. yeah. Acronyms. It's like science. There's lots of acronyms. Yes. Yeah. Just quickly yes. to go back to Craig's point, I think the big difference between doing sweet spot stuff in cycling and, and doing the equivalent in running mm. is that running um, takes a lot more of the um, like the muscle strength part of recovery. Like if you do sweet spot running all the time, you're putting way more load on like your knees and tendons and joints and all that stuff. Whereas you can like cycle sweet spot, like without barely putting any stress on that stuff. It's all stress to your, like essentially your cardiovascular parts of your system. So mm -hmm. I think it's way more, you can just do so much more of it in cycling. Whereas like to do the same volume of it and running, you'd, you'd probably hurt yourself. So <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the point that I was going to make is that I feel like a lot of the, um, let's say trainer road is big on sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they also rely on the ramp test to assess your, what your FTP is generally. And I feel like a lot of people overread on the ramp test. And what that ends up meaning is that people are doing a lot of threshold training when they are doing sweet spot, which mm. I, if it's, it's problematic if you're doing four days a week of it, but can be good if you're, you know, two days a week of actual threshold training can be good for growth. It can be very productive. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it for a beginner for sure, but it's, it's definitely, you know, uh, a good, could be a good part of somebody's training program for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the point might be that, uh, if you, if you, uh, are really strongly pushing sweet spot as the, the, the main part of your, your training, it might actually, well, yeah, there, there's, there's not much difference between sweet spot, sweet spot and threshold, uh, in terms well, of what benefits you, yeah, go ahead. Yes and no. It depends. Uh, if you do low end of sweet spot, that's really just tempo work. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of where it is which is essentially race pace right um, mm. so it just kind of depends what you're doing i feel like the, the big thing and this is i mean this is probably a personal uh assessment just because my 20 minute power anything based on a short effort for me mm. and i know for lauren and i'm almost certain for craig i don't know about brent any shorter effort is going to well overread on what our FTP actually is. And when you say shorter, you mean the ramp test? Ramp or, test, uh, 20 minute effort. I think he's saying anything other than doing the one out FTP, yeah. the one hour, anything hour other FTP, than you're going to overestimate. Yeah. Yeah. Anything other than one hour or the like, I don't know if you know the empirical cycling version of it, where it's just like a slow ramp over 40 to 60 minutes to, until you pop. Oh, uh, but like, I've not seen that. so I feel like a lot of the protocols for people with a, with a lot of punch mm -hmm. overread. Uh, and so you're F, like, you know, my FTP might tell me I can do 280, but if I actually try and ride the Alp at 280, 
I get 40 minutes in and I explode. Right. Um, and so I forget what the, the grander point was, but that like, but what that ends up meaning is that sweet spot actually means threshold for me. Right. Because you're, you're 280. So it's 265. At, yeah. And so we're putting you at 84 to 97% of 280, where we should really be sliding you down a little bit and it should be 84 to 97% of 265 or, or wherever that would be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and knowing that means you can adjust it. Right. So you don't and I do. Yeah. stick to that, you know, doggedly and then break yourself, blow up, lose motivation, you know, and all the bad things that are associated with that. So if you do realize that, then there's no harm in sliding it down a little bit to get the quality of the training. Absolutely. And I feel like that's an important point is that it's regardless of what your FTP is set at, do the workout as it feels like you should be doing it. And it probably takes a, a, a while to figure out what it should feel like, but yes, it does. Yeah. I mean, in, um, in the plans that I've built, there's I, I attach a spreadsheet in there which breaks down all the zones, but it also, you know, there's a lot, it's, it's an Excel spreadsheet, so obviously there's formulas in there, but there is a column that's just these RPE, so it's really, you know, rate of perceived ex- exertion, not exhaustion, as some people call it, but exertion. <laughs> um, and you know, it kind of gives you a descriptive narrative on how you should feel. Um, you know, this is easy. I could do it all day. This yeah. is kind of a little bit, you know, I could do it for a little bit, not too long or, oh my God, somebody just feels like I'm, you know, being kicked in the teeth all the time. Um, but, and I, th- I think it, it peaks at don't go towards the light, doesn't it? <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at the light. <laughs> that sounds like something I'm going to suffer best too. The other part I would add on to some of that, that your point, Sean, about the, um, like, aside from essentially and even the one hour mark of an, of ftp unless the surrogate tell me if i'm wrong that one hour mark of ftp isn't even like it, it's not an hour it's like a, it's like a, an enter, an output you can hold for sort of a relatively extended a period of time, time. And for some people it's 50 minutes for some people it's 68 minutes like it doesn't and where that curve falls off and when you get too tired isn't always right at that 60 minute mark for everyone mm-hmm. so okay. that's part of yeah. the inaccuracy of it wait some it of depends. it is mental yeah, so, it depends. It depends. It so depends. the hour was based on 40k. So it's originally it was how quickly can you ride a 40k? And okay. The hour is that kind of fudge mm. factor around oh, it. Sure. Well, That's and and then there's other coaches that are exercise physiologists who then try to turn that into energy Lactate system, threshold. and then it's how long can you do that energy system, and you, you can go as complicated as you want. You can, you can. And there are a lot, a lot of coaches out there are much, much smarter and much more qualified than I am. Um, and I, you know. Um... Uh, so, so speaking of as a coach, uh, based on the web, your website, so rule71coaching.com, if anyone wants to find it, uh, uh-huh. it seems like your philosophy is, and if anyone has never uh, looked at the Voluminati's rules, those are always very fun to uh, look through as a, especially as a new cyclist. Uh, there's uh, for Ange, definitely things about sock height. Um, so 
the time for important. being competitive yeah. is not during your training rides, but during competition, know how to train properly and stick to your training plan. Ignore other cyclists with whom you are not intentionally riding. Do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> Me? Yeah. Well, that is completely the philosophy. I mean, it's obviously tongue in tongue in cheek because it comes from the voluminati, but it's it's true. I mean, you know, we've all heard of half wheeling. Um, you know, not so uh, not so easy to do on Zwift, but you know, if you've ridden outside, you, you've probably experienced it. But yeah, it's absolutely um, the foundation of of the training, right? So you know, make your hard rides hard, make your easy rides easy, make your rest days rest days. Uh, I love this because I'm in enough of, of enough chats with other Zwifters, with other Zwift herd racers on Facebook, where we talk about this stuff a lot. And, and there are definitely folks who making the easy days easy is mm-hmm. tough. And I'm one of them. Like, so, so Sean is definitely tapering me before the playoffs and he's like, you can't, you can't be on the bike. You can't do that. That she, thing you wanted, you can't do. A couple yeah. of days ago, she was like, hey, can I ride a Fondo on Sunday? And it was <laughs> like, us. how, how mm-hmm. far is it? And yeah. she was like, I'll do the short one. It's only 50K. It was like, no. <laughs> and so, so this is the thing. Yeah, that's why I'm calling out other people because I knew I would get called out as well because that's the thing. I'm going to be really, really antsy. It's like, what do I need to do before the playoffs? Which has been the whole goal of my training. I need to not be on the bike. I need to, and so I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll uh I'll uh do a long walks or something because I'm <laughs> well and I would say that that's probably not such a great idea either. I mean, if you can don't have to stand, sit down. And if you don't have to sit down, lie down. Uh, and if you're lying down and you can go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, Sean, telling... You can send me you can uh, slip me that 20 later. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But if you're gonna yeah. be on the bike. Uh, like, so, I mean, I know how strong a rider you are. Go in one of the beginner herd group rides and stay on the yellow beacon. If you have to be on the bike, yeah. do that. It's, yeah. it, and they'll be, be in the chat, you'll be distracted. But if you want to be on the bike and get things moving, um, that, uh, I actually like that on, on easy days because mm-hmm. it does keep me way way down and my power band yeah and the herd folks are always super nice and yes for some of those rides that for me it would be would be a ride that's easy would be a recovery so i feel like you know we've gone we've gone pretty long already but uh do you (laughs) if if you uh feel like you've got the time do you want to uh talk through the philosophy of what a taper is and why you would do it uh yeah I can do. yes of course so i mean a taper is really the lead in to your event uh depending on what the event is will dictate how long the taper would be typically as you move towards it you would reduce uh volume uh you would also uh maintain some intensity but perhaps not as many intervals per ride um instead of doing you know eight times four you might do four times four whatever just as an example um that's that's kind of it really in a nutshell um i like to give people openers which is something you would do the day before a race um you know just to kind of get the blood flowing open up the pipes make sure the bike's not going to fall off the trainer (laughs) 
uh, or you're going to snap a chain or something silly like that. Um, and I try to get people to do that kind of, you know, as far away from their event as they can. So if they're racing at nine o'clock in the morning, do it at nine o'clock in the morning the day before. Don't do it at nine o'clock at night. You know, if you miss that window, then the window's shut. Um, yeah, that's that, that's kind of it, really, in a nutshell. Okay. Did yeah, I get it right, It's all very important. That's definitely what yeah. he's been having me do, although keeping that window, that's something that I really have to focus on because mm. I tend to race mm. and during my work day because I have a somewhat flexible schedule. So I'm in Pacific time, but I'm racing EMEA. So if I'm okay. doing openers, I actually need to try and do them early in the morning. So so actually Zwift racing has started to make me shift my whole sleep schedule. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, that shows you're committed. Um, and that's really, really what you, you can ask for. I mean, if you're committed, then these are the... These are the things you have to do, right? You have to make some sacrifices. I have a team relying on me and I care about them and I want to do as well as I possibly can because they're just also nice and wonderful. Well, there you go. That's, that's perfect. I mean, what more motivation would you need? That's great. That's we'll really give you an easy one that you don't have to answer seriously. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about uh, fasted racing? Oh, <laughs> because that's Craig's Craig. primary race yep. style. That is Craig. Oh. <laughs> so, again, I, I guess it comes back to when are you racing in the day and how long before was your last meal? Personally, I'll ride in the morning. I try to ride first thing in the morning, and it's very unusual for me to eat anything before I ride. So, technically, I'm fasted because the wow. meal is yep. the night before. Um, would I would I drag that out if I was riding at four o'clock in the afternoon? Absolutely not. No. Um, we're, you know, it's an endurance sport. You need fuel. You need to put calories in your body because we burn calories. Um, I'm not a big fan of keto diets or fasted racing or. You know. No, it, it, it's it's kind of a running joke. I, okay. uh, I race at uh, five thirty in the morning. Okay, well, there you go. So, so very similar, right? So, yeah, yeah, I'm often on the bike six o'clock in the morning, and you know yeah. that's fourteen hours maybe since I've eaten something. Yeah, I mean that's not to say I don't have something on you know sat on the desk next to me just in case. And in fairness, if it's a long ride, if it's more than ninety minutes, if it's two hours, you know, then yes, I'll probably have something, but yeah. something quick, you know, like a peanut, uh, a banana with some peanut butter on it. Yeah. And a, Bit of carbs, bit of sugar, bit of salt. Um, yeah. That's my breakfast basically every day. A banana with peanut butter. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. So thank you very much, Stuart. Very much appreciate. Yeah, uh, yeah we, you've... Uh, uh, 90 minutes. This was the yeah, nerdiest... We've gone, gone long on this one. I apologize. No, no you've don't. been amazing. The fact yes. that you stayed this long is wonderful. Just chatting to a bunch <laughs> of herd nerds. It's great. You're very welcome. I was worried my headset was going to die. Um, I know, it's, right? It's lasted the course. So. I was going to say we're working against batteries and potentially bladders, or maybe that's just me. <laughs> maybe Craig's kids, which is also my second favorite part of this podcast. Yeah, they've been running around <laughs> oh my in God. the background, waving in the background. It's delightful. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun, and you know, I'm happy to support any questions anybody in the herd's got if they want to reach out to me and uh, they can find me in 
on Facebook, um, they can DM me and, you know, that, that's fine. Even Craig, you'll actually respond. <laughs> <laughs> Craig's, Craig's messages go into a special folder. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's anything to do with Craig or Canada or combination. Uh, uh, oh, uh, gosh. I think it's historical from all the... Uh, all the messages uh, uh, from when uh, I did the climber's plan. Uh, <laughs> it was like, oh, no, I'm ignoring anything from him. <laughs> For the benefit of the listeners, the joke is that when Craig tried to arrange this podcast with Stuart, Stuart did not respond and someone else had to get a hold of Stuart in order to arrange this. So, and it wasn't, to be fair to Stuart, we all understand now that it was not of any ill intent. It was just no, one of those no, crazy no, electronic internet things. Facebook Messenger puts your yeah. chats into a weird spot. Yeah. Well, we're wow. not friends, Craig and I, on Facebook, so the no. messages were going into this design. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Sure. but we fixed it. Just like today, we all had a good chuckle about it. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So. nothing personal, Craig. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I think with that, I we'll probably say personally. thank you to Sean and Lauren. Thank you to Craig. Thank you, especially to Stuart Barrington, for being our guest this evening. Thank you to everyone at the herd. And for listening, who's listening tonight, and for being out there, everyone enjoy your races and have a great night. See everybody. Hey, right. thanks a lot. Good Bye. night.